The real end of Ataturk's republic happened yesterday. We are now entering an era of Mr. Erdogan's republic. Unfortunately for Turkey and its democracy, going forward, Mr. Erdogan will become not less authoritarian, but more authoritarian. Welcome to Near East Policycast, episode 44, for June 25, 2018. I'm Scott Rogers, online editor at the Washington Institute. That was Soner Shabtai, Bayer Family Fellow and Director of the Institute's Turkish Research Program, speaking today in a Skype interview about the results of Sunday's elections in Turkey. On Sunday, Turks voted for president and parliament for the first time under their new constitution and handed President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and his AKP party narrow victories that may reshape Turkish politics and society for years to come. Did Erdogan win fairly? And what does his victory mean for the future of Turkey, the Middle East, and American relations with this key NATO ally? We'll find out after this. This is Sarah Foyer, SORA Fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. The Institute is dedicated to advancing a balanced and realistic understanding of American interests in the Middle East and promoting the policies that secure them. Find all our research and analysis at washingtoninstitute.org or follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute. We're joined today by Sunir Shabtai, who's the Bayer Family Fellow and Director of the Turkish Research Program at the Washington Institute. He's the author of The New Sultan, Erdogan and the Crisis of Modern Turkey. Sunir, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for hosting me. For the benefit of our American listeners, what was on the ballot in Turkey this weekend, and what does the outcome seem to be right now? The ballot was yet one more referendum on Mr. Erdogan's completely polarizing personality in Turkey. Prime Minister of Turkey since 2003 and President since 2014, Erdogan is a prototype of populist leaders globally. He has delivered phenomenal economic growth and built a base, uh, mostly uh, constituted by conservatives, that adores him. But at the same time, he has demonized and cracked down on demographics that are unlikely to vote for him. And therefore, he also has a strong group of opponents that simply loathe him. And this is a direct result of Mr. Erdogan's political trajectory that Turkey is thrown into a deep crisis, which I explain in details in the new Sultan. But the vote on Sunday was yet another referendum on Mr. Erdogan. And we saw that nothing really changed. Those who love him continue to love him. Those who despise him continue to loathe him. In fact, he won the elections at a margin of 52 to 48 percent. That is exactly the same margins by which he won a referendum in 2017, a referendum that assigned him new powers and increased his executive, uh, style, executive powers as a president. So I would say that uh, this was yet another masterful win for Mr. Erdogan, but it was also a troubling news in the sense that it suggests that Turkey's deeply polarized political landscape will not get less polarized, but uh, that the election results will probably exacerbate the crisis in which uh, Mr. Erdogan's political trajectory has thrown Turkey. Well, let's go a little bit deeper on that. You've written uh, widely, including in uh, your political biography of Erdogan, the new sultan, about a 50-50 split between the not quite half of Turks who absolutely love Erdogan and the half who hate him. But in the last three years, it appears that he's consolidated a stable majority on the love him side. Is that the case? And what does that mean for the future of Turkey's political divisions? So uh, Turkey is often considered as a country that follows trends invented in the West and Europe and elsewhere, because that's what the Turks have been doing for the last 300 years, westernizing, following political trends in Europe and, and the West. Maybe this time, in the case of Mr. Erdogan, it's the opposite. Uh, I believe Mr. Erdogan uh, is a prototype of populist leaders globally. 
Uh, he came to power in 2002, and he has uh, both uh, built a base that adores him, but also because he's cracked down and uh, dem brutalized demographics that are unlikely to vote for him, he's also built a base that strongly opposes him. Going forward, uh, Mr. Erdogan, I think, now has a full mandate uh, to shape Turkey in his own image. Uh, after uh, he made amendments to the Constitution in 2017, he has uh, become an executive-style president. But these powers really go into full effect, starting with uh, this new elect presidential cycle uh, that he's assuming. Uh, he is now head of state, head of government, head of ruling party, head of police, which is a national force in Turkey, head of the military. Uh, uh, subsequent to a change to the referendum that he passed in 2010, he can appoint a majority of judges to the high courts, and he controls now both the executive and legislative branches. He is the most powerful Turkish politician ever elected, and his vision of making Turkey socially more conservative, directionally more Middle Eastern, and politically mm. more Islamist is now going to have few limitations and checks and balances. The problem here is that while half of Turkey, just nearly over half of Turkey, uh, is okay with this platform and agenda and embraces it. The other half will never fold under it and is completely against it. So I think that Mr. Erdogan's agenda of shaping Turkey in his own image now actually threatens to throw Turkey into deeper crisis with just over half of the country saying yes to it and just under half of the country saying no to it. What is just over half of Turkey? Turkey is a country of 81 million people. That means 40 million Turks oppose him. Demographically and economically, that's a population the size of Spain. They will simply not disappear, even if the, uh, Mr. Erdogan wishes that they should or they go away. And I think it suggests that he's going to have a really large, significant base that will oppose him. So the question is, can he become a unifier? Can he reach across the aisle? He uh, suggested in his victory speech yesterday that he was willing to do that. But he has done many other victory speeches, which did not, were not followed up by actions. I actually think that, unfortunately for Turkey and its democracy, Going forward, Mr. Erdogan will become not less authoritarian, but more authoritarian. Here's why. He won the referendum at the end of a completely unfair campaign. Uh, Pro-government businesses control 90% of the media. Uh, government can censor online content. Elections were held under a state of emergency that was rightly put in place after the failed coup of 2016, but that has by Mr. Erdogan's Machiavellian political tactics being extended seven times since. So the race was not by any means fair because there was a state of emergency that gave the government the right to arrest citizens and curb liberties. And of course, one of the opposition leaders running for uh, elections uh, in the presidential race, uh, that's the head of pro-Kurdish People's Democracy Party, Mr. Demirtas, uh, ran from jail. It's hard to say that this was a fair campaign. Mr. Erdogan knows this as well. He won, won the elections at the end of a fair campaign, even if the vote was free. And he knows, in my view, that when left to its democratic devices, the Turkish society mm. is likely to vote him out. This is why he is less secure than before, more insecure in his uh, ability to let Turkey go and be free. And I think going forward, he'll become more authoritarian, not less, because he knows that if he lets power um, a democratic devices in Turkey function as they would, he might be voted out. And if he's more authoritarian, uh, that suggests that the base that uh, loads him and does not want to fold under him will only become more alienated by it. Uh, so Turkey's crisis, which I explain in the new Sultan, is going to be both compounded 
and exacerbated by this victory, unfortunately. Well, you've you've warned uh, in the weeks leading up to the election that uh, the election would not be a fair one in terms of the uh, government putting its uh, hands deeply on the scale on the side of Mr. Erdogan and against uh, any and all opposition parties. But were the elections, do you believe, free? And we should uh, I should note here that we are speaking on Monday morning U.S. time, so barely 24 hours uh, after after the polls. So my hunch is that the campaign uh, uh, was uh, completely unfair, a very lopsided uh, media landscape uh, and in terms of freedoms and liberties uh, for pro-government voters versus anti-government voters. Uh, but it looks to me that the vote was uh, fair, but I would leave the definite answer to that question to pollsters, statisticians, and political scientists who will deep dive into election data and analyze it, and let's see what comes uh, at the end of that. And, and looking forward, this is the uh, the first election, really, of uh, under Turkey's uh, new constitution with a, a powerful and partisan president, a somewhat less powerful uh, legislative branch in the form of the parliament. Do you fear that this uh, could be a uh, one-man, one-vote, one-time situation for Turkey, where going forward we're going to see more like a, a Putin-style or a Venezuela-style approach to uh, elections, where uh, the fix is in completely? Well, political science literature says that if elections become unfair or unfree in a country, they do not go back to becoming free and fair again. There's only one exception, I believe, uh, Dominican Republic, which apparently had an unfair or rigged election, and because of U.S. pressure, they reverted. Uh, Dominican Republic is a great place, but U.S.-Turkish relationship is nowhere near U.S.-Dominican Republic relationship, and Turkey is a very different country, of course. So I, I do not anticipate elections becoming uh, 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 fair under the clock of uh, Mr. Erdogan because he knows that in a completely fair and free race, he will uh, he might be voted out. And that is really bad news for Turkey's democracy. Secondly, of course, uh, he's not only executive style president with complete control of three branches of government, mm -hmm. as well as uh, complete control of the army and the police, which is a national force and complete control of the ruling party. But he's also uh, now has a free reign to reshape Turkey, including its government bureaucracy. Uh, there were some suggestions by pro-government circles and pundits and Mr. Erdogan's own palace that he would uh, refashion Turkey's state, shut down government ministries, merge them, create new ones. So uh, it's, Mr. Erdogan's uh, reign in Turkey since 2002 has often been characterized as the end of Ataturk's republic. I think those are all nice writing tools. The real end of Ataturk's republic happened yesterday, we are now entering an era of Mr. Erdogan's republic. This is a, a, a basically an empty palette. He can uh, shape it, paint it, sketch it in the way he likes. And I think we're going to see the emergence of a completely new Turkey, uh, which is shaped by his own image of a socially conservative, uh, politically Islamist, not Muslim, but politically Islamist, as well as directionally Middle Eastern place. And therefore, I think uh, we're entering into uncharted territory. Let me ask you to uh, uh, anticipate a little bit of, uh, of, of map making, though, for the future of Turkey in the new uh, Erdoganian uh, Republic. How do you see the new Erdogan administration affecting uh, Turkey's regional policy as well as relations with the United States? I think that Mr. Erdogan will have much less room to maneuver on a number of issues going forward, primarily because he was able to win the elections thanks to an election alliance with a hard nationalist, hard Turkish nationalist faction called MHP, Nationalist Action Party. Had it not been for MHP's alliance with Mr. Erdogan's AKP, he would have lost the parliamentary elections. And had it not been for MHP's support, 
he would have also lost the presidential election. So he is indebted to this hard Turkish nationalist faction. The MHP is completely opposed to Kurdish nationalism and Kurdish nationalist entities. That includes the PKK, Kurdistan Workers' Party, which is a terrorist group, mm-hmm. and the YPG, People's Protection Forces, of which, which is an offshoot of the PKK. So going forward, if, if you think Mr. Erdogan was having a hard time uh, cutting the U.S. slack on its YPG policy, uh, that will look good compared to his policy and stance on the YPG coming up. The MHP will force him to have zero to present the U.S. with zero room to maneuver on the issue of YPG and uh, the PKK. And therefore, I think we're entering into a period in which Turkish demands from the U.S. regarding uh, an immediate cessation of U.S. cooperation with YPG will become even more vocal and will be voiced more frequently. How then should U.S. policy adapt to the new Erdogan presidency in Turkey? I think U.S. policy basically has always dealt with Turkey's elected presidents, and Mr. Erdogan is Turkey's electorate, uh, elected president. But of course, uh, this suggests that U.S. policy is increasing. You have to uh, going to have to adjust to the fact that this is a uh, president who has been elected as a result of an unfair campaign. And then while he's loved by a base, he's also hated by large chunks of the country. Of course, what worries me most is that uh, the crisis of Turkey is not being resolved, but exacerbated as a result of uh, the election outcome. Uh, Mr. Erdogan does have a bright side. He has delivered phenomenal economic growth. Uh, a factoid I love from the new sultan, my recent book, is that when he came to power, infant mortality rates in Turkey were comparable to those in pre-war Syria. That is pre-war Syria. Now those rates, the infant mortality rate that is in Turkey, is comparable to Spain. So the Turks used to live like the Syrians. They live like the Spanish now, which is why he wins elections. That's his bright side. But his dark side is that He's also demonized, brutalized, and cracked down on demographics, unlikely to vote for him, and that has built a base that simply loathes him and will never fall under him. So if he moves forward with his vision of shaping Turkey in his own image as a socially conservative, uh, politically Islamist, not Muslim, but politically Islamist, and a directionally Middle Eastern place, uh, he's got nearly 40 million people who won't fall under him. That is a population demographically and economically the size of Spain. So Turkey maybe is more divided as a result of this race and not uh, less, uh, uh, unfortunately. Well, thank you for sharing a uh, quick briefing with us on yesterday's elections. I look forward to speaking with you again soon as uh, developments uh, continue to evolve in Turkey and uh, in terms of U.S.-Turkish relations. We've been speaking today with Sonir Shabtai, who's Bayer Family Fellow at the Washington Institute and Director of the Turkish Research Program. He's also the author of the book, The New Sultan, Erdogan and the Crisis of Modern Turkey. Sonir, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a great pleasure. I'd love to come back soon. This has been Near East PolicyCast from the Washington Institute. For more research and analysis on the Middle East, find us online at WashingtonInstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute and subscribe to us on YouTube at Washington Institute for events and video explainers. Thank you.